0: Welcome to Measures of Truth, a His Dark Materials
1: podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And I'm Anya, and today we're discussing the eighth episode of the first season of His Dark Materials, Betrayal.
2: Jack Thorne finishes out his octology of episodes with this one. Uh, he also wrote National Treasure, but it's not the one that taught Caitlin about American history. Uh, it's a British TV show about a comedian and a sex scandal.
1: Oh, that sounds
2: interesting. I've never watched it. It might be good. I don't know. He seemed, He's a good writer, so it's probably good. Uh, Jamie Childs came back from the last episode to do this one. He worked as a second unit director on a lot of episodes of Poldark, if you've ever seen that. So that's kind of where he cut his teeth.
0: All right. This week's summary is at the science cabin, which sounds like an awesome place to visit. There's lots of talking. Lyra and Azriel have a heart to heart and Azriel makes it clear that he doesn't want her there and that he doesn't want the alethiometer upsetting Lyra lyra and roger talk about how roger is creeped out by asriel and how parents are more trouble than they're worth they worry about the future but decide not to consult the alethiometer asriel wakes lyra to talk about the nature of dust original sin and crossing over into other worlds asriel tells lyra that dust is what makes the alethiometer work and that finding out more about it is the most important thing then he sends lyra back to bed Hours later, Thorold, the Scottish butler, wakes Lyra again and tells her they need to leave because the magisterium is coming. Roger is missing and Lyra realizes that Azrael is going to cut his demon away and use the energy to open the door to another world. Lyra gathers Yorick and the other Panzerbjörner and they set off to save Roger. And it all works out.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Father Macphail and Mrs. Coulter talk strategy and try to make each other feel bad. (laughs) <laughs> Their airship eventually arrives at the science cabin. I mean, that's, I don't know how else you would describe that scene. I definitely had a mouthful of tea. <laughs> Mrs. Coulter looks at the math that Azriel left behind and figures out his plans. The Magisterium airships open fire on the bears, and Yorick and Lyra flee the battle to chase after Asriel. Asriel throws Roger and his demon Cecilia into a pair of severing cages Lyra reaches Roger just as the blade comes down, releasing a huge blast of energy that kills Roger, throws Lyra off the mountain, and opens a door to another world. Mrs. Coulter arrives soon after, and Asriel tries to convince her to come with him through the portal and fight the Magisterium. She refuses, and he goes through the door without her. Lyra and Pan mourn over Roger's body and decide to go through the door as well to find out more about dust and to stop Asriel from whatever he's doing. Meanwhile, Boreal gets his alethiometer answer to the question about what did Grumman discover. The answer? There's a knife in a tower surrounded by angels, and his son will lead you to it. Boreal returns to our world and gets his henchmen to set the police looking after Will. Will skulks about in a hoodie trying to avoid the police. While hiding in a park, he also finds a door to another world and then walks through it.
0: All right, so what were our general feelings about this season
1: series finale, depending on if you're American or British? I thought that it was a really strong way to end the first season. Uh, The acting, the visuals, the themes, the pacing, everything just kind of came together um, really nicely.
0: I felt pretty much the same, and I'm ready for them to start airing season two next week, right? That's That's how these things work, right? (laughs) Yeah,
2: No, I'm there with you. Yeah, I'm ready to see the next place. Um, I agree, like everything fell into place really nicely. And the show, man, this episode, really beautiful. Not just the special effects, but, you know, like the lighting and um, it's just so gorgeous. The sets are really amazing and so intricate and detailed. Like his science cabin, as you said, is like just full of cool stuff, all kinds of details all over the place. And I really, really appreciated the return of like Azriel's emotional tension of like, I need to kill children, but I almost feel bad about it. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to like the book where I feel like he is, I mean, he's a different character, there's different things going on, but he's like, very cold, especially in that first book. It's weightless in a way, you know, what James McAvoy is doing, it's not weightless at all it feels like there's a heavy cost which i like
0: well you said almost and i feel i feel that i feel almost it's like he has kind of a thought that oh i'm going to kill lyra's friend oh
2: well <laughs> <laughs> i think he had like resigned himself that he was going to kill a child like azriel in the book freaking out when it's lyra just doesn't work as well i feel as what James McAvoy has set up through his performance in the first episode. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it paid off pretty well here. I agree.
1: Yeah. I also really agree about the lighting, um, because so much of this episode happens under the Aurora. The, whoever was doing the lighting just did such a good job. Um, it comes across as, as totally natural, um, to whatever extent those things could, could be are, are natural, um, yeah, it just it really works visually.
0: And yeah, and they did a good job with the inside outside, because I'm sure all of this was on a soundstage.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But it didn't yeah, look it... it didn't look too bad. I guess it helps that everything was at night. Even even the science cabin on the inside, it, it did not have good lighting for research purposes, but it had good lighting for <laughs> show purposes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like Azrael is definitely that. slowly going blind, but it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> uh favorite parts? I'll go first, because I was right. About? Yeah. About how it was going to end, how the season was oh, going to end. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: you were. I thought you said when you watched the last 30 seconds, it made you mad.
0: Oh, I didn't like the visual of the uh, portal doorway thing.
1: Which one? The one in the park or the one that Azrael opened?
0: The one that Azriel opened.
1: Right, because in the book, it's described almost like walking on a bridge like into the sky. Well,
0: in the book, it's very different. Yeah. But... I'm going to talk about that later. Um, But also I liked it better because, again, I just watched literally like the last 10, 15 seconds. So I saw Lyra walking through and Will walking through and I was like, great, I'm right. Good. And then I didn't see anything leading up to it. I didn't hate it as much when I saw it all with context. I see.
2: Yeah, it is very different than what I imagined in the book. I really liked her like walking through it and then cut to credits. I was like, oh, that's that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could see, yeah, not being into the look.
1: Yeah, maybe we can talk more about this later, but I thought it was interesting that the two different doorways looked so different from each other. And I guess maybe that's just because they were like made with different methods. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't even know. Can we talk about that outside of spoilers? This is my problem. Yeah, I don't
2: think we can. With how, okay.
1: Okay, well then maybe we'll talk about it in season two. But I just, I noticed that and I thought it was interesting.
2: It's good that you notice though, and that you're like asking those kind of questions. I think that that right there like is good visual storytelling, right like it's this looks different than the windows that we've seen, and what does that mean and it actually does mean something it doesn't it's not just it's the end of the season, so it's it's gonna look cool. there is actually a reason for that,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, but what what was your favorite part I don't you didn't talk about it,
1: oh yeah. So as usual, I'm going to have like a list of favorite things instead of just one. In general, I thought they pulled off all the conversations really well. It can be hard in any medium, TV or otherwise, to have scenes that are a lot of talking with very little action. I thought all of them in this episode worked really well. I especially loved that first scene between Lyra and Azriel, where she's like criticizing his choice in women, and then he kind of turns and is, you know, talks about, how he knows he's a bad dad and he was never really trying to be a good dad. Anyway, there's just like a lot of emotional ups and downs that I thought that the actors did really well. Also really loved the scene between Mrs. Coulter and Thorolds because like he's pointing the gun at her head the whole time, but she's doing all of the talking and she has all of the power in that situation. I feel like that just says so much about her character and and they obviously know each other from before. Um, so also like their past relationship. And then the one that just made me laugh so much is when uh, Father McPhail uh, is in the science cabin, and he just mentions, uh, like, plenty of people staying here. There's some sort of encampment in the living area. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's clearly a child's play for it, but he's trying to be all serious about it. And I just, that was the funniest moment of the episode uh, for me. I really loved it.
2: McPhail is such an alien. Yeah. Like- <laughs> That's said this whole thing is like, I think someone was enjoying themselves here, maybe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like he needs to go hang out with other humans a little bit more.
2: Mm-hmm. It was weird. Um, I, I actually really like a moment. You just reminded me of this between Coulter and McPhail, where she's like, don't touch anything. I'm sure it's, there's traps everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. Are there traps? I don't know.
0: D&D would suggest yes.
2: Right. right. <laughs> I really liked, Is I guess a weird thing to like, but it was like the most affecting thing to me in the episode. It was heartbreaking. Uh, Lyra says, I didn't even get to say goodbye after Roger is severed. And like, I just started crying the way that, you know, like Coulter and Azriel have their whole, back and forth and um, no one ever gives Roger's body a second glance. Mm-hmm. And it just like it underlines that difference between the children and, and adults in this story and how like the adults and really this is like also a class thing because the Egyptians aren't this way, but how the adults are all caught up in whatever their job is or their personal crusade like Azrael. And the kids have, like, relationships and other people.
0: I I don't know if that really landed for me. Maybe I, I've actually just not really enjoyed Roger at all this
2: season. Did you like it when he died? I didn't like, like it yes. when he died.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it when he died. I was just like, eh. I feel like I hadn't really loved Roger up until this episode. I felt the impact of his death. Both because of seeing Lyra and Roger together at the cabin, and then Lyra's reaction afterward.
2: Yeah, I think that this moment hit me so hard because, like, I've never really talked about it on any podcast. But um, when I was a little kid, we would move around a lot. Like, I moved around about once a year, and from from third grade uh to 6th grade i had like a best friend who like i stayed the night at his house every single weekend and we did all kinds of stuff um and one day like my parents were divorced and so we used to spend the summers with my mom and then we would come back uh and be with my dad all year because they lived so far away from each other and one summer we came back from my mom's and we're in the airport and my dad is like, hey, we're driving to Louisiana from Chicago. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we moved while you were gone. And like, I never got to say goodbye to that best friend. Right. And then he died after that. Oh, jeez. And so I've never been able to say goodbye to him. And so like, it just brought that back to me. And right. I was like, oh, uh, and I lost it. I don't think she says that in the book because I definitely would have probably got hit by that.
0: No, in the book it plays out differently because yeah, the the machine doesn't actually happen.
2: What happens is
0: Stelmaria, Stelmaria, whatever, has Saucilia, whatever that demon's name is, in her <laughs> mouth. And then Roger and Lyra, or at least Roger, they sort of fall and and they're separated by distance and that's what causes the... Mm. the separation at least that's how i'm remembering it so lyra had his body while the scene between Azrael and mrs coulter was happening
2: yeah i think this is like trying to kind of parallel the scene with um mrs coulter and lyra you know where mrs coulter saved lyra but lyra's not able to save roger and he's like screaming her name the same way that you know she was like mom mom it's yeah it's different but um I think it's doing other things on purpose. And also, like, I think it's smarter to use this separation machine.
0: Oh, yeah. I have no problem with how they did it. It looked, it it worked fine. It was good. Mm-hmm. I just, again, I don't personally, Roger's not been a character I cared for particularly.
2: Yeah, I think it was just that personal resonance. That yeah. I was like,
0: oh. Oh, I, I can also see where if you cared about Roger, it would be better. But I <laughs> don't. <laughs>
1: Uh, least least favorite part? So the one thing in this episode that I really did not like, and maybe this is just because of the comparison with how it was in the book, but I did not like the rationale that they used uh, to get Lyra and Roger to not check the alethiometer. In our episode about the, these book chapters, um, we talked about how it is kind of necessary for the story to address this, right? Because on some level, Lyra is kind of omniscient. She has... This, like, really strong power that the alethiometer gives her. And so, uh, based on, like, what we know so far about how the alethiometer works, we need some kind of conceit to prevent her from foreseeing what Azra wants to do uh, to Roger.
2: Why didn't they write the eagles to Mordor? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. And so... <laughs> In the TV episode, it basically just comes down to them not trusting the alethiometer. Uh, Roger says, "Does it know everything?
3: Does it know everything that will happen to us?" I think so, but I think it only tells me what it wants me to know. So, then let's not use it.
0: So we just know what we know, I suppose.
1: And so they decide not to look at it for that reason. And that just seems, I don't know, kind of like a cheap and and like not really sensible reason. I don't know. It feels like it's coming out of nowhere in that moment. Like it's an interesting idea, but they just kind of like bring it up and then abandon it. Um, and in the book, they do something really different, um, which works so much better for me. Basically, they make it so that they're both just kind of so tired and they like, know that it's possible that something bad is going to happen, but he almost just like doesn't want to know. Um, and I, I read the quote when we did the book episode, but I'll just read it again, because um, I know there's probably a lot of people who are just listening to the TV episodes. Um, so Roger says, seems to me everything I heard since the Gobblers come to Oxford, everything's been bad. There ain't been nothing good more than about five minutes ahead. Like, I can see now this bath's nice, and there's a nice warm towel there about five minutes away, and once I'm dry, maybe I'll think of something nice to eat, but no no farther ahead than that. And when I've eaten, maybe I'll look forward to a kip in a comfortable bed, but after that, I don't know, Lyra. There's been terrible things we've seen, ain't there? And more coming more than likely. So I think, I'd rather not know what's in the future, I'll stick to the present. Yeah, Lyra said wearily, there's times I feel like that too. So although she held the alethiometer in her hands for a while longer, it was only for comfort. She didn't turn the wheels and the swinging of the needle passed her by. pantaleimon watched it in silence. And like, that just seems like so much weightier and like so much more, like it gets me in my feels in a different right, way. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I don't know if this is just, because of where Buffy and the Vampire Slayer is right now in their rewatch of season five. But it reminds me so much of um, like the theme of the episode Fool for Love um, about all the Slayers having a death wish. And, you know, like sometimes in that moment, you just are so tired of struggling and you kind of give up. and And I think that's something that like everyone can really relate to. It was like one of my favorite parts Mm -hmm. about the section of the book and the fact that that they did something different here that just like didn't work for me. Um, Yes. So that very long explanation um, is my least favorite part.
0: The thing that bothered me about that bit in the TV show is they could have just not had them talk about the alethiometer. And because they've had so little alethiometer in the show, we wouldn't have even thought, why didn't they check the alethiometer?
1: Yeah, you're right. It is. It's a much less central part of this book yeah. that, or sorry, of the TV show than it is in the book. So it, they didn't
0: even need it. the The bit that you read does something really interesting with the characters, especially for Lyra's continuing guilt because she could have mm-hmm. checked. She had, like, she had it out. It was in her hands. She could have asked, right. but she didn't. They try to just throw in this idea that maybe this thing that is literally about telling the truth doesn't always tell the truth. Yeah. It's my least favorite part was the bit right after this, when they're in the fort acting like kids. And I get why they put it in there, because, (laughs) you know, Roger's about to die, and they had to show, you know, that they're just kids again. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it felt so out of place and weird, and I didn't like it.
1: Caitlin, it's an encampment. Get it right. Of course. I'm so sorry. (laughs) When they
0: were talking very serious matters in their encampment.
1: (laughs) Plotting strategy.
0: (laughs) Yes. But again, I get that they were like, please feel for their friendship and how much they like each other because we're about to kill one of them.
2: Do you think that they want us to kind of like ship them as like, if Roger had lived, like, are we supposed to believe that this would have kind of become something else?
1: Okay, I had that exact same question. Because in this scene, I really liked part of it. But Mm -hmm. the whole section of dialogue about like changing each other's lives struck me as like, very romantic in a way that the rest of their relationship was absolutely not romantic. And it felt super forced and out of place. And I was gonna ask if you guys felt like that was romantic energy, and I just watched the Folgers incest Christmas commercial for the first time. <laughs> for the first time,
0: I know. For I the apparently first time. I was not. You have not been doing Christmas right, Anya. Oh my god.
1: Well, yeah. So I. It's so saw... an essential
0: part. You watch. It's you watch Home Alone and you watch the Folgers incest commercial.
1: That's Christmas. So yeah, I like. I read the GQ article and then ended up watching that and a couple parodies of it. And um, that scene in the fort just like really reminded me of that (laughs) because it's like, you know, you're like totally on board and then you're just like, whoa, that got real weird kind of fast and I am not don't like it.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I hesitate to do that, to put that sort of thing on them, although I I have kind of felt it in other places too especially from roger Mm -hmm. um yeah i hesitate to talk about it though just because i feel like is that just my cultural biases you know friendships can be just as important Mm -hmm. as romantic relationships so i don't like to you know take a friendship and be like oh they're trying to make it seem romantic just because they're a boy and a girl when i'm like caitlin stop being that asshole I think my personal feelings on being touchy feely would be affecting it. Cause I'm like, they're hugging. They must be in love. Cause that's the <laughs> only reason you would ever hug anyone ever.
2: <laughs> this part that you're talking about, I actually cried through where it was like, we've changed each other's lives. Like that was another part. I cried in a lot of this episode actually, but, uh, I didn't think of it in a romantic way, but some of this tense stuff, it doesn't feel like they're trying to be like, they're in love. But like, like, this is like, the way it could start for two young kids. And if they continue to grow up together, maybe it would, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I, I also feel that way. But I also feel like maybe that's just us being like, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Maybe it's
0: them also being like,
1: uh, heteronormative. I mean, overall, I I thought it was fine, but I can see why you would not like that.
0: I I am enjoying that all of like that the two of us are like having completely different opinions on everything than Alan. Yeah, <laughs> Alan is like um, I was so attached, I cried, and we're like fuck
2: this bit. You know, I don't I don't think it was Roger. It was it was honestly like when they did that part. That was when I thought of my friend. Um, for my child, which was like such an important part of really my entire life was that person and how precious he was to me. That just knocked me down, especially because I knew it was coming. And then for her to say that line later, I was like, oh, I'm actually dead now.
1: (laughs) Uh. Okay, but what was your
2: least favorite part? No, Caitlin's not done.
1: Oh, oh.
2: Okay, so
0: my other thing, I didn't like Azrael's line about the Republic of Heaven, but just because I feel like it's come in at the wrong bit, like that's a that's a big thing from the books, and I I didn't like having it here. So that's just me being a snob. <laughs> I thought it was very out of place here, and I feel like if you were watching it, like where like it just felt like it came out of nowhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of things that happen in the book. That line is very much tied to very emotional bits for me. And so I just hated having it here.
2: Do you think if he rewrote the books in some kind of George Lucas way that he would put that here?
0: No. No, because Azrael was uh, lying to Mrs. Coulter in that bit in the book. He was saying, come away with me, we'll destroy dust.
2: I wonder about that because I do feel like it's a George Lucas thing where like maybe Pullman meant exactly that. And then later he was like, actually, he was lying to her like
0: maybe but it works for Azriel's character i think because oh it totally we, we, talk, works. we talked about this when we were during the book he's lying so much during those last couple chapters but you don't question it at all because he's not mrs coulter
2: yeah right yeah 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 you're right yeah it's i noticed it too i was like ooh, they said that and that's another one of those things that's like being in a marvel movie and being like Ah, oh, that's Wolverine's skeleton in the background. Or like, you know it's, it's only there for the nerds.
0: Yeah, like I get I get wanting to bring that up now so that when like I presume we're gonna see more of Azrael's story in the second book than mm-hmm. we do in the books in the second season than we do in the second book. But it really just felt like he wanted to do a science experiment and now he wants to build a republic of heaven? What?
2: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> I'm. they had that stuff about Adam and Eve so I guess the churchy religion stuff didn't come out of nowhere but it still seemed it just
2: seemed out of place to me it just it just makes it seem weird because he's like I'm anti-church and I'm gonna make the Republic of Heaven and you're like I'm confused <laughs> what <Right. laughs> mine is like way less than either of you <laughs> um, I felt like Will's story was like watch will ride a bus there wasn't much to it um i was more rooting for boreal to catch up to him than i was for like will to get away i didn't feel like there was a lot of tension
0: see i very specifically did not put anything about will as my least favorite part because i think i've harped on enough about how much they've changed will as a character but i liked or i disliked some of the stuff with will because i thought it had too much tension For who Will is or should be in the books. Because Mm. like when he's sitting in that cafe and a cop comes in and he like freaks out about it, Will from the books would have been like, all right, I'll just sit here calmly, drink my
2: coffee. Nobody will care. And you know what? That would have been more tense, though. You know what I mean? Like for him to be in the room with the cop and be like, I'm going to play it cool and do it. Like, mm-hmm. that would be a better scene. That would have a lot of energy to it, even though it's just people sitting in a room together, as opposed to like, ah, I got to get out of here. Like, yeah. and then he does successfully get out of here and there's no consequences. And then he's like, come on.
0: And, but, and again, there's all these bits where he's like walking down the road looking so suspicious. And I'm like, book mm-hmm. will would literally be like, okay, well, don't look suspicious. Because you know, he knew how to hide. He knew how to have people not notice him. That's his whole character in the book. And again, I'm harping on about it, and I was trying really hard not to. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that is literally his whole self in the book. He loves his mom, and people don't notice him. That's Will. They've completely cut out that bit in, in the show. I mean, at least he loves his mom,
1: I guess.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in this episode we are just talking about this one episode we're going to do a wrap-up yeah. episode in the new year i'm um, probably going to have francis back on and we're going to talk about our feelings on the season as a whole our hopes and dreams for season two et cetera, et cetera. You
1: know, read book two between we now and then we'll see it's not that long
0: yeah it is it is the shortest of the series
1: okay all right so let's get into the
0: episode we start off at Science Kevin.
1: <laughs> so one thought that I had in this part of the episode, um, just based on our conversations before, was Alan really appreciated how the book was letting a lot of the male characters like be really emotional. And so I n- really noticed when Azriel says,
3: Do you know who your mother is?
0: Your choice in women is almost
1: as
3: bad as your choice in bears. <laughs> I don't think we should continue this conversation. Why not? Because it is getting sentimental. Sentimental? And because I wouldn't like to. Are you crying? It's unnecessary. Lara Balakwa, you are stronger than that.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because it kind of goes a little bit against what you were saying before. um, But it also maybe, like, indicates the conflict within his character. Um, and it also kind of touches a little bit on something we talked about in our book chapter episode, which is that by the time we get here, we haven't seen as- Asriel in a while, in this case, since episode one. So we've kind of like forgotten how much of an asshat he is because um, he's been built up in Lyra's mind as like the polar opposite of Mrs. Coulter um, and someone who she really likes and feels relatively connected to, and so it's kind of like getting slapped in the face. Yeah, and
0: I actually think it works for him, because he's almost kind of Mrs. Coulter-ish in this episode, in that he's keeping all the emotions in, and just Mm -hmm. putting out this blank sort of front, presumably because he knows he's going to murder a kid. So I think A lot of his telling Lyra to not be emotional is really him not wanting to get emotional himself.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like it's totally a defense mechanism. Yeah. So
0: I think it works and Mm -hmm. it's still and it doesn't counteract all
1: the other things that they've done. Yeah, I completely agree. I also really loved in that scene how she like claims her silver tongue name and is like really standing up to him in a way.
2: I, back way back in the first episode, I predicted that Azriel would um like kind of arc to where he was less sensitive and less connected because he's so kind of tender with her in the first episode. And then he's like, why am I caring about her? Why am I letting myself do this? But we didn't get enough of Asriel for him to have any kind of arc. So I feel like this is as close to an arc as he could get. Like this is him putting up literal boundaries around Lyra and, and being like, you know, you have to like control all of these emotions or you're never going to get the job done. You have to be less connected to people in order to get what you want. That's like the lesson that he's trying to give her. That is like the thing that has, um. that's the reason he's up on a mountain by himself with his Butler, you know, mm-hmm. because he's like got all these <laughs> emotional boundaries.
1: Yeah, and I love James McAvoy's face when Lyra calls him father. Like, he's, oh, that was just, like, such a great moment.
0: I did enjoy all of their interactions. Like, even when he has that, like, second conversations with her after Thorold says, maybe you should put a little effort into this.
1: Oh, yeah. I did <laughs> notice know? that, too, right? Because, like, Thorold says he should talk to Lyra again, and he's like, oh, no, I'm definitely not going to. And then he does. Yeah. So that, again, that's like speaking to the the like conflict within him and how he's the difference between how he wants to be and how he actually is.
0: I continue to wonder like why he is the way he is, I guess. Why has he decided that pursuing this is more important than being a good dad or being any type of dad?
2: Maybe it's easier. Really? It's like literally easier to decide to... To fight, whatever Cross into dust another is, world. Well, yeah, than to raise a child. Well,
1: he's just doing what he's always done, right? Like, he didn't choose to bring Lyra into this world. She just kind of happened. And so the whole time he's just been going along with his original plan.
2: I mean, I I think that a thing that Coulter and Azriel have in common that is different for Lyra and it's like an important theme about the adults versus the kids is that they both deny things about themselves, you know, in the pursuit of their goals. And while Lyra is like very connected to herself and goes out of her way to keep emotional connections with people and to do the things that she cares about because she's connected to herself. Like she doesn't deny herself that, is part of what motivates her and her actions. And with Asriel, he's like, he loves Lyra, but he can't afford to love Lyra and do the thing that he's going to do. So instead he like suppresses that element of himself. And I think that the story is saying something about like, that is part of what adulthood is, is like making these, there is no choice that you can make where you don't lose something. Mm-hmm. Every choice you're gonna, you're either gonna lose your dream or lose your family. Right. You know, that's how. That's what being an adult is.
0: I guess that does kind of stay on theme with the, uh, the ending of the series too.
2: Yeah. You, yeah. Your choices have big consequences.
1: I also thought that they did a really great job with the demons in this episode. Like, there were at least three moments where I felt like the demons were, like, visible, but in kind of a subtle way that really contributed to good storytelling or world building. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is that part where Roger and Lyra's demons were playing kind of in the background when they were in the encampment. Um,
0: (laughs) That is the only bit about the encampment that I liked.
1: (laughs) Um, and then I thought they actually handled Azriel and Coulter's demon sexy times pretty well, with like having them in the foreground and then the human characters in the background. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a good scene. And then um, when they have the parachuters jumping out of the airship and all of their hawk demons like diving down with them, I feel like this episode really shows that like you don't need to do anything crazy. Like you can have a super light touch but like really communicate the importance that demons play in the world. And like I mean, I obviously don't know how much any of this cost or like how how much work it would have been to put it in some of the earlier episodes where we were really like feeling the absence of demons. But yeah, I thought this episode did it really well.
0: I also liked the bit when Lyra runs up to the cage and gets Roger out, Pan goes up and looks for Cecilia and you can see like the devastation on his face when she's just not there. Like I I felt that more than the I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. But maybe that's just because he was in his ermine form and he's so cute. And then then he looked sad and cute. And I was like, oh, pan.
2: During the episode seven live tweet, there were a lot of people commenting on those falcons or whatever they are um, for the magisterium guys, because you can see them as Mrs. Coulter walks by them in slow motion and stuff. Mm -hmm. And people were like, why aren't they wolves? This was going on. Because that's what, or Dobermans, or whatever, you know, like that's what the Magisterium people always are—the stormtroopers, or whatever. And then in this one, it kind of like paid it off. I was like, oh, cool, where they're like dive bombing out of the thing.
1: Yeah, you can't—you can't be a parachuter if your demon's like a wolf or something. Like,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you could
0: strap them onto your front, I guess. So, <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> it would look so. T-
1: oh my god! If they yeah. all have the German shepherds. Strapped to their chest.
0: <laughs> it would, I don't think it would look dumb. It would not at all look menacing. It would look so right, cute. Right, right. It would be like, <laughs> but, but people, you know, jump tandem. So you can strap like a human to your front. So obviously you could strap your demon.
2: <laughs> it would be like they're all talking about, did you see Simon over there? He has a corgi. How is he going <laughs> to jump out of the. No one's going to take him seriously. Oh, i want a corgi
0: demon yeah
2: yeah that would be the best
0: i just want like a corgi without having to take care of a dog <laughs> can i just say yeah. for our wrap-up that is also when we're going to assign people assign each other demons
1: oh that's right i forgot about that okay i'm glad you brought that up uh so we can be thinking <laughs> on that uh
0: listeners feel free to tweet at us what what you think our demons are
1: yeah um, I was just going to say, speaking of the battle, I thought the way they integrated the battle into the episode here was perfect, which is to say it was like, very minimal and like flashy, but for a super short amount of time.
0: Yeah. And I like that we got to see the bears and the fire hurlers. I realized that you were just like, here's something they did well. And I was like, fire. But um, <laughs> I agree.
2: Yeah, it was like. You know, like the bear fight, it was all about like Lyra's reaction to it and her terror at the violence and stuff. I really liked Mm -hmm. that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, they can kind of save money that way. But also it just works way better for the storytelling. Okay. And so this, I think, is maybe a bigger question. But I think we should talk more about the fact that Lyra fails in her main goal. Um, and like, obviously, book readers are going to know that she's not going to succeed in saving Roger. Um, but I was curious what you thought about what new viewers might think. Like, do you think it's obvious going into it that Lyra's going to fail? Because I kind of when I was watching it and watching her scramble up the mountain to where Azra was, I felt like just based on like the pacing and the visuals and everything and, and what we're kind of used to, I kind of felt like maybe she could actually succeed
0: i thought that there was at the very least going to be more of a struggle just probably just because that's how it was in the book yeah i felt that they paced it well because of how Azriel was lowering the thing and it was lowering slowly and you could kind of feel how much effort he was putting into it so it did feel like there was a chance for her to get there on time
1: i guess that's not super unique to have the protagonist fail but Among YA type kids' books, it's pretty unique. In our book episode, we talked a little bit about how Lyra seems to succeed in all of those kind of like little steps along the way. Like she's really able to talk herself out of some bad situations, especially with like Yofer and the bears. Or it's like a little bit of a different structure, right? In a lot of stories, there can continually coming up against harder and harder obstacles. And then at the end, they finally succeed here. It's mm-hmm. like Lyra's kind of skating through without having to expend too much effort. Um, and her journey is like fairly smooth. And then at the end, she just fails.
0: The, yeah. They had a
1: a little bit less of that in this.
0: I feel like, well, a lot of her little successes that were in the book just aren't in the show. Right. Like, they
1: cut them because for timing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is,
0: which makes sense. Mm-hmm and then a lot of her big ones were like in in Bullvanger she doesn't get the kids out you know they're still in there and then the battle just happens in Bullvanger so it doesn't feel like everything going smoothly for her you know what i mean yeah so it it feels differently in the show that's a good point
2: i think you're really right you like you're really grabbing onto something that this like visually it is doing the thing that stories usually do To be like, you know, the the bomb is ticking down to zero. Yeah, the blade is very
1: slowly getting lowered. She's scrambling up the hill. Like she, you know, got the bear and then got to the thing and then crossed the bridge and then.
2: And fantasy usually does like pull the bacon off the fire at the last second and you get to have your cake and eat it too. A lot of times, um, you know, Tolkien notwithstanding, but or uh, Martin for that matter. But that's not what this story is about. It's about as you grow up, you have to like reckon with losing things and with you know losing people and losing. And this is like about a loss of innocence too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is I think this is more. It might be shocking at first, but I think more satisfying. Maybe uh, who knows? I can't put myself into that person's shoes, but I think that it could be shocking, and then you'd be like, "But that was the right way to do it." Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't know, and. I think everybody that we talk to on Twitter has read the books. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's hard to have any idea what, what a new listener, what, what, what their mindset is going into this.
2: I was, there is wild things that I read on Twitter where people are like, so can they take, could they have taken that Billy kid back to like the magisterium and then they would do a ritual to get to summon him a new demon and I'm like, wow, it's not that they're like asking some kind of ignorant question, but just the world that they're imagining is like, not the world and into like, and th- that's not like an isolated, like one person asking that there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there.
0: Well, that's because the show hasn't really gone into demons properly.
2: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like my one really
0: yep. big complaint. Yep. They haven't driven home that this is not like a friend.
2: This is your soul. It is you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they might be expecting that more happy-go-lucky kind of ending where maybe the kids, you know, something bad happens, but the kids get out of there and or the, you know, the grown-ups swoop in at the last minute, you know, Lee shows up or S- Serafina or something. But no, that's not what happens.
1: So how did you guys feel about the scene with Azrael and Mrs. Coulter? Because um, in the book, I really did not like it. And I thought... They did such a great job of it in the show. I really, really loved
0: finally seeing them together. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was really great because they're both such great actors. And I did like it. I kind of didn't like that they cut Azrael lying to her and saying, come with me and we'll destroy dust. Because I think that just shows how much he really did want her to come with him.
1: Mm-hmm. That he was willing to completely lie about his project. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he talks instead he's trying to convince her to destroy the magisterium, which is a very different project.
0: <laughs> which is like the exact opposite of what he says in the book, but it, it yeah. is more in line with what he actually wants. And I guess it makes sense because it the show is shown that Mrs. Coulter knows that that's what Azrael wants, mm-hmm. you know, to take down the magisterium. But mostly I, I really liked them together. I liked how it started off with him pointing the gun at her. And then moved on very quickly <laughs> to them making out. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's an interesting relationship.
1: <laughs> the charisma of the actors, like or the writing—I don't know—it just all worked for me mm-hmm. here. Um, it didn't feel like overly melodramatic or cheesy the way it kind of felt in the book. Uh, well,
0: also in the book, it's told from Lyra's perspective. Yeah, and it's her like being like, "Oh, it's my parents," and they're talking to each other, and that gives it a completely different feel too. Because mm-hmm. it's not like it's not about these two like really intense characters coming together. It's about Lyra seeing her parents together for the first time.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So
0: I, I can see where just from that point of view this it would work a lot better.
1: What did you think about Mrs. Coulter's reasoning for why she didn't go through the door or the portal?
3: You used to want to change the world, then leave the magisterium. Come with me, and we will change them all. But our child is in this world. My place is with her. That is not a lie. You want that? I want her with everything I have.
1: This is your journey, not mine. Goodbye, Israel. I don't exactly remember, but I don't think in the book she makes it as much about staying behind for Lyra, which is, of course, ironic because then Lyra ends up going through the door herself.
0: I think it's a good way to set up future things for her Mm -hmm. to show that maybe she's a crappy mom, but Lyra is important to her and she wants to keep Lyra safe and be there with her somehow, even though she doesn't really know how and she doesn't know how to do that and keep her like power and such with the magisterium. I I liked that she didn't say anything like that. It wasn't that she was scared of the magisterium. And I think that that is true to her character that she, she knows that the magisterium is powerful, but I don't think she's scared of them because she feels like she can, you know, she can control them. That's fine.
1: Well, if she can control them the way she controls father Macphail. Ugh, I loved that scene with the two of them. Yeah. So, And I liked her line, you know, this is your journey, not mine. It's, you know, they, like, clearly have a really strong attraction for each other um, in, on, mm-hmm. like, multiple levels, but she just still, she sees herself as an individual. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, she's drawn to him, but bo- both of them have, like, such a strong sense of individuality, like, they would never actually work as a couple together.
0: I also think in the third book, there's bits that just sort of come out of left field, and don't feel like very Mrs. Coulterish. But if they kind of go in that direction from here, it'll seem less like like a softening of Mrs. Coulter, mm-hmm. and more like this is kind of where she was trying to get to. She just didn't know how to get there. And I I like that sort of second pass edit that that Philip Pullman got on her character.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought when she was like, I'm gonna stay for Lyra. I was like, this is how you retell a story that was pantsed the first time around. I see.
1: He's like making her more consistent with where who he needs her to be at the end.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's arcing her in a more smooth way. I, I gotta say that this scene worked less well for me in the TV show than in the book.
0: Really? I like that we're continuing to disagree. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um I felt like so it's beautiful the you know with the light behind them uh mm-hmm. and all of that and I felt like and especially the way that it was staged with like the demons in the foreground and then the light in the background I f- I felt like that elevated it visually for me to the point where they were like almost archetypes instead of the actual characters Um, which maybe was kind of the point. So it wasn't like melodramatic the way that it was in the book. It was like a different kind of like hyperdrama going on. And it's not that that didn't work for me. It was that I started to think about completely different things than maybe what the show was going for. And this is probably just me. But I was like, oh, this is like a little bit of – she's Eve and he's Adam and they're on the cusp of a new world. And he's trying to tempt her, like come with me the way that Eve tries to tempt Adam to eat the apple. And there's just all of this, like, you know, there's all this temptation and other world stuff going on. And she's like, no, I I choose to be a mother. I choose to do my duty. I choose God and the church and just all of this stuff that is really crunchy. It was really good. It's just not in the same way, and it's not... For me, it wasn't exactly about those characters as much as it was, like, inhabiting the themes in, like, a much larger way, mm. which really a finale should be doing. Um, but it wasn't... I don't know. It just wasn't hitting those specific characters in that particular emotional moment for them in as effective a way as the book did for me.
1: Speaking of themes and and, like, Eve's temptation with the apple... Um, I did love how how, during that whole conversation about original sin, Azrael is basically talking about guilt for sins that we haven't committed right before he knows that he's about to murder a child <laughs> hilariously,
0: I was eating an apple during that scene, oh, really.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I love the way they adapt the, like, biblical storytelling to fit the demon universe and, like, the the whole interpretation of original sin.
2: He does that in the book, too. Yeah. And it was in the first episode as well oh, was with it? the librarian. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, that was the, the bit that the librarian was talking with her about. That was, that was good. I'm glad that they quoted that exact same bit. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, all that stuff is really good. It just put me in mind of, of that stuff because he's talking about Adam and Eve and, you know, and all of that stuff. And then when it got to that point and they're standing at the portal, I was like, oh, this is like Adam and Eve, which is not like an accident. Because a lot of this story is about, you know, like the I think the TV show more than the first book especially has really like hit home about Mrs. Coulter is your mom. Mrs. Coulter is this manipulative liar And she's doing these heinous things, but you also have this talent for lying and you are also driven the way that Asriel is driven. And what is, you know, your legacy as Lyra? What have you inherited from your parents the way that we have all inherited original sin from Adam and Eve? Like, are you doomed to become these people or, you know, or can you like transcend that or can you hold on to something inside of you that is better or? You know, see all of that stuff.
0: That's I. I also think that they are that they brought that that point up a bit, but that's why I liked in the book. Lyra has that realization, or that conversation with Pan when when they're walking across the bridge and have to continue on alone about why adults do these things to children. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. wish they had kept something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it would have fit there because they were trying to keep up the tension and 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 the the sort of rush to the end so i i get why they cut it from there but i wish something maybe when they were you know over over roger's body at the end something about them just being like why do adults do this to us why like why is this happening and because i think that that is part of her realizing that she doesn't have to become like them
2: yeah, that's a really good point. And, and I think actually her crossing the bridge also, I I noticed this, I didn't write anything about it, but since you mentioned it, I remembered that kind of visually, it's almost the same camera angle as when Mrs. Coulter is walking on the ledge and kind of slips. Right. And she does like the same slip that Lyra does right mm-hmm. there where the monkey kind of reaches out. It's like the almost exactly the same thing, that's which is really nice. Point. Yeah.
0: yeah, I didn't notice that. That's cool. So talking about that, when, when uh Lyra says goodbye to York just before that, do we think Daphne Keen hugged the big plastic bear head?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. I just want all the behind the scene footage of that. Like I loved the video that, that Lynn Manuel Miranda posted.
1: <laughs> but- <laughs> oh I
0: oh, run yeah, running
1: around with the bear head yeah. in Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that should great. definitely be one of the bonus features if they put out a, a DVD.
0: I just want it all. I want all the bear head. I guess the only other thing that I really wanted to talk about was uh the when Lyra and, and Pan are, are talking over Roger's dead body and deciding what they're gonna do for season two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course they framed yeah. it exactly that way. Yes, of course. We need to find dust.
3: We thought it was bad, because grown-ups said so. What if it isn't? What if it needs protecting? You're saying... we could... go... and find us before he does? Do you know what that means, Pan? We'd be alone. We've always been alone. Apart from... Roger. Leave him. we got to make sure they don't win. We gotta go, Roger. All right.
0: Me and Pan are going to go into the skies and we're going to search for dust. We will make sure your death is not in vain.
3: Goodbye, Roger.
0: No, so I liked, well, I did like the bit where she says, but we're alone when, when they're talking about going on or we'll be all alone. And Pan says, we've always been alone. And I really thought they were going to go in a different direction here. But then he says, apart from Roger. And I was like, oh, wasted opportunity. <laughs> because one of the whole points about Lyra's world versus our world is that they're never alone. They've right. always got right. their demon. And what with Will literally being on his own in the other scenes, they could have landed so well. And I get that they, I guess they were still trying to, drive home how sad it is that this kid died that I don't care about. But <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good opportunity and it was just whew, flew away. I almost
2: picked this as my least favorite thing because I really don't like it and I think it doesn't work at all. In the book, I think this brings way more true because over and over Lyra keeps trying to join these communities and they keep pushing against her mm-hmm. and like, you're not a bear, you're not Egyptian. You're not a mariner. You're not an aeronaut. Right. You are you are the child of these two monsters. And that is a real thing. That's a, a big theme of like, can you accept yourself? And can you like transcend that, those parts of yourself that you don't like? Like that is what this story is about. Uh, but in the TV version, it's been much more about Lyra, like building strong emotional connections with people and not just joining groups, but kind of creating her own group. Like, she's made a family for herself in a way that book Lyra doesn't. Mm-hmm. And she's not alone, like, at all. And she's got pan. And, like, it just does not jive with everything that's happened.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, again, it just felt like they were trying to make you feel bad for
2: Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't work for you
0: But even if I had been upset, that still wouldn't have landed because it would have felt like they were trying to make you feel bad for Roger. You know, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. because as much as it didn't work for me, the scene where she is sad, like, I get it. That feels like what she would do there. Yeah. You know, but while him saying apart from Roger feels like, please remember to feel bad for this dead
2: child. (laughs) Right. It's like self-pity or something. Yeah.
0: Oh, I will admit that maybe that is because when he paused after we've always been alone, I did think it was going to go in that other direction. And then as soon as it feared back, I was like, ugh.
2: I think that would have been great. You're right. Like, if it's, yeah, we've always been alone except for each other or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. That would or, have been Yeah, really or something strong. along those lines. Yeah.
1: I should mention just briefly the rant that I went on about bonds breaking. Like, if we're using this as a scientific metaphor, in chemistry when you form a bond that releases energy and breaking a bond you have to input energy to do that so the like chemist in me was like ah oh, this metaphor is backwards but you know whatever <laughs> right <laughs> i mean obviously it works I, the the like story wouldn't have worked the other way so
2: is it clear to you guys if it has to be a child Oh, for the energy release.
1: That's a good point, right? Because there, I'm well, so something about the nature of the demons is different between adults and children because of the settling thing. But it's hard to, Mm. but like the bond itself between the demon and the human, like we don't know if that changes.
2: Yeah, they've only been, well, they haven't only been doing this to kids, they've done it to grownups too. You know, so like, was there an energy release then? Like, if they hadn't shown up, would Thorold have been killed?
1: <laughs> Not the friendly jail. <laughs> is that either. why he was
2: there? <laughs> um. Oh, uh, speaking of Thorold, he seems to know the whole plan and is like, Master Bruce, maybe don't <laughs> kill a kid, but if you gotta, I will help you out. Like, <laughs> wh- like what? Does he know the plan? Or do, it wasn't clear to oh, me. Oh,
1: I think he definitely knows the plan. I think it's that's just like up. Yeah, but I don't know, like loyalty okay. to your employer.
0: Man. A lot of the adults are fucked up. That's oh, that's no, kind of totally. the point. Yeah. yeah but yeah. in the book he did not know the plan.
2: That's what I thought. Because that was like
0: after Azrael takes Roger, he wakes Lyra up and is like, He took Roger. He seemed wild. I don't know what's going on. And that's when Lyra has the realization.
1: It definitely seems like he knows here.
0: Or knows more. or
1: Yeah, something.
0: In the book, I very much got the feeling that Lord Asriel was Lord Asriel and Thorold was the butler, you know? And they did not right. have any interaction beyond that. But in this, it was very much like... This is two men stuck in the science cabin, <laughs> you know,
1: well, and like, clearly- maybe sexy times don't happen, but <laughs> they do talk. And like, he clearly knows everything about Mrs. Coulter, like, you know, so yeah, he was definitely if you're like interacting with your person's mistress, like,
2: yeah, no, I like how much of a person he is in this and, and that actor is great. Like mm-hmm. he's in a bunch of stuff. He's always really good. I don't know. Like, I couldn't figure it. I was like, man, maybe he just cares about Lyra and is like, I never did like that kid. I honestly thought he was
0: very Sam.
2: Yeah. He's just like, um, I guess if you have to eat a child, Mr. Frodo.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Man. Well, Sam was a little bit homicidal. uh, Very true. You know, vis-a-vis terrible people anyway.
0: Or maybe he's just loyal to the Belacqua family because he did seem to care about Lyra too. But- he, did, he never mentioned Roger, even when he true. wakes Lyra up and is like, we got to go. The Magisterium's coming. He doesn't mention Roger at all right. until Lyra's like, where's Roger? And he's like, oh, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was a tiny Moses moment for me. I know we were done with <laughs> Moses. But um, at the very end there where she's walking through the light, I was like, it's like the parting of the Red Sea because that portal is like different. And you kind of like walk through a tunnel of it. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: It does. uh, Even the way they designed it kind of looks like a parting of this world into another one. So I I can see where you would uh, make that connection.
1: Well, if we're going to hit on all of our buzzwords, like, did they really (laughs) they didn't really revisit the prophecy or ideas of teleology that hard in this episode, which is fine. I like didn't even feel that absence until right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, the teleology that you get in the season is more, like I was saying before, this like biological legacy of Mrs. Coulter and to a lesser degree Azriel, but only because we have seen him less. You know, like how much are you just the function of your biology? If your parents are both psychopaths, are you a psychopath kind of a thing? And how much can you like run away from that or run away from yourself? Mm-hmm. I th- I feel like, you know, that's kind of the... What are you how much are you made and how much do you make yourself?
1: I guess it's kind of hard to go back on the prophecy thing when we're so close in all of these people's point of view and in the action. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I assume we'll we'll get back to that next season.
0: And we had it last episode with um Serafina and Lee's conversation. Like mm-hmm. she didn't specifically mention the prophecy, but she was very much like Lyra's important and we've all got to look after her. Yeah. Uh Mrs. Coulter saying you know, choosing Lyra as her number one thing. I think that's sort of her teleological, her, her ultimate end.
2: Yeah, it's tricky to, it's kind of unfair of me, really, honestly. I was thinking about this this week to like bring up teleology in the story at all because like, you know, like a story is like a a thing. If a character is not doing a job, like a specific thing in a story, then you're like a bad writer. And so on a certain level, like, Every story has teleology in it because, you know, that's like the reason this person is here is to make you cry or to make you they're the funny one or they're the strong one or, you know, whatever. So, like, that's just how storytelling works. But, like, I think this story is actually like about that, too, you know.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's interesting to bring it up in this story just because of how much it is about these characters are these archetypes. But what could that mean if looked at it from a different perspective
2: yeah which Pullman definitely does yeah
0: uh okay here's a question for Anya with them bringing up Adam and Eve here at the end and how that story is important and if if you remember just say that but if you don't remember like where do you think that that's going how do you think that that's going to play in
1: Wow okay that's a hard question um I do not remember okay. Can I wait and answer that in the wrap up cuz I feel like I need to think about it more? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
0: if we have any listeners who haven't read the books, please also yeah. feel free to send in your predictions. But everyone I've talked to has definitely read the book, so I don't know I don't know about that.
1: No, I feel like I think they've definitely been hitting on dust as kind of like an unreliable force of some kind. But other than that, I don't really know. I mean, based on how I know that this book series is really held up by atheists, I would say like like the ultimate theme is going to be something about original sin being bullshit, but that's more intuition and metatextual than something that's in the text.
2: I mean, he literally like says that in not bullshit, but like Oh. Oh, I think yeah. he rejects original sin in this episode, right?
1: You like, mean McAvoy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's also like about to murder a child. So I don't know how much <laughs> I trust his like ideas about guilt. Like, good point. And sin. <laughs>
0: um, Objection
2: sustained. Yeah. That's good.
0: <laughs> do you think do you think that dust is original sin?
1: Oh, definitely not.
2: I really like what he says in this about You once asked me what dust was.
3: truth is, I don't know. Why is the Magisterium so afraid of it? They're afraid of it because they think it is sin. Actual, physical sin. Raining down from the sky, settling on humanity, and infecting our souls with evil. To be fair, it's a terrifying thought. For the longest time, the Magisterium completely ignored dust. But then it was discovered that dust only begins to settle on humans going through puberty. The connection was made to Adam and Eve, and they labelled dust as original sin. Original sin? When did Eve's demon settle? When Eve ate the apple like the serpent told her to. Well done. And the serpent said, you shall not surely die. For the authority does know that on that day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, your demons shall assume their true form, and ye shall be as gods, God, knowing, knowing good, good and, and evil. Dust. You see? They have been trying to convince us for centuries that we are born guilty. That we have to spend a lifetime atoning for the crime of eating an apple is there any proof for this heinous stain this shame this guilt no not at all we are to take it on faith and on the word of the authority but dust dust is an elementary particle that we can record measure, study, we can take photographs of it. And it has given them what they need. A means by which to control, to oppress, to frighten, and to keep us where they want us, on our knees.
0: That's what my mother thinks she's doing. Cutting away our demons.
3: Preserving our sinless souls.
2: If it is sin, like, that's a really terrifying thing. Like, that's a terrifying idea. That, like, evil is, like, pouring all over us. And he, I think he's right about that. The, like, you know, the magisterium has made this connection, and that's a scary idea. And so it makes sense on in a, in a certain way. He's just like, it does make sense if that's what it is, but it doesn't make sense that that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you believe that, your fear makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to believe that.
0: Okay. So I think... I think that's it for this episode.
1: This is kind of neither here nor there, but did you read that article about Ruth Wilson leaving the show The Affair that she was the star of? Yeah, there's, like, apparently um, she, like, signed an NDA so she can't talk about it, but, like, the way that they handled her nudity and some of the nudity for other people on that show was, like, kind of shitty. Um, Oh, great. So... Uh, the, yeah, there's an article in The Hollywood Reporter that you might be interested in looking at. I just was thinking about that when I rewatched the episode. Like, she's so fucking good, and I'm so mad that people did that to her. I love her.
0: Hmm. Yeah. She's great. I don't think I've seen her in anything else, but now I, I want to see her in everything. I She's so good. Yeah. I love well, looking at her face when she acts. Don't watch The Affair acts. because... Well, yes.
1: ...know that that was, like, a shitty experience for her.
0: Yeah. But every time, uh, in this episode, she has, like a little smile and I'm like every time you give that little smile I love it she's so good (laughs) Uh, because she'll say this like cutting thing
1: and then a little smile like I love you Ruth Wilson (laughs) so that's it for today uh join us next time and we'll be doing our wrap-up and responding to listener feedback if you want to avoid spoilers now's the time to say goodbye Otherwise, stick around. If you like our show, please take some time to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at Strangely Literal. That's Strangely, then L-I-T-E-R-L.
0: I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin.
2: Follow the show on Twitter at MOTpod. Uh, need more than 280 characters to speak your mind? Send your emails to contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com.
0: Everyone special! Did I? I did not intro the spoiler section. Give me a second here. Okay. <clears throat>
1: spoilers.
0: No, that's terrible, Caitlin.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's great. Okay, I mean,
0: just we'll like. Just keep... Put some jazz hands in there. Some, uh. I, I was kind of jazz handing my fingers. I was kind of like, spoilers. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Um, so I've talked before about in the books how Lyra and Asriel never see each other again. And I just really hope that does not prove true in the show. I want them to see each other again. But on the other hand, I kind of like that they just that, you know, because that's sort of life, like how Alan was describing with his friend, that sometimes you just don't get the conclusion you want. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So. And that's part of the story. Yeah. You
0: know. But uh, I like them together. So, like, I like the two actors acting together. Mm-hmm. So I do hope we get to see them I hope that's something that they change.
1: I mean, I'm assuming that we'll probably get more side characters in the TV show than we would in the book, just because, um, you know, like the way that TV contracts work, you kind of like want to give your actors stuff to do. Lord Asriel has a lot more to do.
0: It's just not with Lyra. It's not that we never see him again. Mm -hmm. They're just never in the same place again.
2: Yeah. Also, like, book two is side characters the book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think the TV show is going to be less like that. Especially since they've already introduced Will. Because the first bit of book two has already happened.
2: Oh, yeah. That's okay. not what I meant. Oh. I was like, I was like, wow, we are spending a lot of time with these people. With who? With, like, Serafina and Lee and... Um, like a lot of time.
0: Well, I, I guess I guess their story. Actually, talking about that, that that makes it nice how their last scene was together because a lot of their stuff in book two is together. Now that you point that out, yes, we do get a lot of side character stuff in book two, but it never felt like, come on, let's get back to Lyra. It always felt like, okay, this is the story we need this.
2: Oh yeah, it's just a different a different kind of story yeah. than the first book.
0: I dislike how they've kind of made Lyra less of a wild child because the uh, the best bit in book 2 is when she asks the alethiometer if she can trust Will and it says, "Yeah, he's a murderer." And she's like, "Great, wonderful. I love murderers."
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's like my favorite thing in all of the, the whole trilogy, it's like, yep, he's a murderer. Like, because not only does that make her trust him, but the alethiometer knew what to say to Lyra yeah, to <laughs> get it. her to trust him. <laughs> so we talked a lot about whether or not the "I didn't get to say goodbye," "I didn't get to say I'm sorry" scene landed emotionally for us. And while it didn't land emotionally for me, I do like that it sets up Lyra's guilt mm. and mm-hmm. her her feeling that her interactions with Roger are not finished thus uh motivating her to find
2: Roger later I didn't even think about that cuz I couldn't think but I think you're totally right that's why that's there yeah it is that's like the same it's like the Mrs Coulter thing and it that's true
0: I actually really like it because it'll it'll be a good good thing to have in mind with her character in book 2 and then also like kind of the cyclical nature of that, of her in book one going off to find Roger and then in book three going off to find Roger in a completely different way.
2: Yeah. Maybe she could tell him that everybody's special.
0: (laughs) Uh, And then, so not like a, uh, this is kind of a spoiler problematic as it were, the window that Will steps through—that's the same window that Boreal steps through. That's what I was thinking too. And I- that makes no fucking sense.
2: Oh no, it totally makes sense.
0: But okay, how?
2: Oh, they explain it. Uh, well, it made sense to me because I guess because I was having the show in my head when I when I re- read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, in I can't—I think it's a witch who talks about this. Maybe it's not. I can't remember who says it. But it's definitely talked about how what Asriel did, like, messed everything up. And a lot of the windows switched where they, like, what they were connected right.
0: to. Oh, okay. I always read that differently as being not switched what they were connected to, but just, like, changed in the world that they are connected to where they opened up in that world.
2: No, they they say, like, they're in the same spot, but now they go somewhere else. Okay. It like he he glitched the world somehow. It's actually more problematic if you're gonna get into like the world building of Pullman's universe, like the book versus the show. It's more problematic that there's a direct line between Lyra's world and our world.
0: Yeah, because because uh, it's
2: well, it's not that way. N-
0: well, it's not. But again, I feel like this was a bit of a retcon. Uh, on philip pullman's side because at first he's like yeah all the windows go either to chitagatze or from you know like everything connects to chitagatze right, right. but then right. we see later on that that's not the case and yeah, i feel true. like you're supposed to just think that because the knife comes from chitagatze most of the windows you know so whoever had the knife was always going back there so those sure, would sure. be the windows that most often got left open i i don't know i i just wish they had done a different window.
2: It is weird. And, you know, like when I came across that in the book, because the description of it, I was like, oh, that's Boreal's window in the show. I was like, huh, that's weird. You know that when they when they talk about how it resets everything, I was like, oh, they do explain it in the book. But I'm sure that that's going to be like really confusing for people watching the show. They'll be like, oh, now he's in Oxford and where did she go yeah but actually no they're in the same place now
0: it's gonna feel like they're swapping worlds instead of meeting up
2: right in a world in the middle exactly
0: that was another thing i didn't really like the 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 thing that asriel opens in the book it's this huge thing like when Mm -hmm. when Mrs. Coulter says, you know, the Magisterium will stop you. He's like, look at how big this is. Everybody can see it. Everybody can get to it. Everybody can just leave this world if they want. You know? So the Magisterium has no power anymore. And that's just right. not what this window was. Like, it it physically changed Lyra's world. It Like, everything was off the axis. You know, we see the north start melting. And, mm-hmm. and it, it created that hole that was sucking away all the dust. Mm-hmm. And it was this huge problem. And this little thing just doesn't seem like <laughs> this huge problem that the one in the books right. is. Because we see later with Mary and the and the Mulefa that they're like, yeah, a little while ago something happened and dust just got fucked. Mm-hmm. A- and it was yeah, this. It was, it was Azrael opening the window.
2: Yeah, there's like an environmentalism, you know, kind of technology theme yeah. that comes in from this event. That's really cool. I kind of
1: like that. I'm really looking forward to that. So,
0: and I, like, I just wouldn't believe that of this tiny little window.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Because the special effect is very, very cool, where it, like, sucks the Aurora, like, kind of slurps it up like a spaghetti noodle. But, like, it doesn't feel as big as maybe it should, if it's going to have that big of an effect.
0: This this is why I was upset at it when I watched just that, like, 10 seconds of the ending. Mm Mm-hmm. But I guess because it had that big explosion, or not explosion, but that big thing before it formed that small doorway, I could see where maybe that, they're going to go with that having sucked out a lot of the dust. The opening of this window sets up the whole thing with the bomb later on and how that opens up the abyss that is once again taking away all of the dust. Right. In a much, much bigger and much more concerning manner. I would have liked them to have set that up a bit more we got our introduction to the knife, which is nice.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Boreal's character is so different. He's so much more interesting.
0: I love Boreal. Like, he's evil, but I love him, you know?
2: Oh, he's great. In
0: in a similar way to how I love Mrs. Coulter.
2: He's different kind of evil, though. Like, he seems way more together and sophisticated.
0: He seems almost kind of like Lord Asriel, but evil, even though Lord Asriel isn't great because he just murdered a kid. But you know what I'm saying? Because...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: he's willing to work with the Magisterium and be like, oh, you guys have a window? It's my window now, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> or, or that's the impression I got in the books. I, in the show, I don't know if the Magisterium knows about the window.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it.
0: Let's wrap this up, then. All right, so we'll see you all. Well, in, oh, you know what? Happy holidays, everyone. Have a good new year. Oh, yeah. And we will see you uh, in the beginning of January. All right. So that's it. We'll see you all in the new year. Uh, And remember to always walk through any mystical windows you find when on the run from the police.